Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. that you're here. I'm going to ask you, if you will, this morning to join me in the book of Luke, chapter number three. Join me, if you will, in the book of Luke, chapter number three, and we're going to read a few verses here this morning, and uh, just hopefully uh, obey the Lord and allow his word to speak to our heart. I want to talk to you today about the plan of God, and I want to assure you of one thing, that God always has a plan. He always has a plan. And we're a part of that plan. And sometimes God's plan takes us off the beaten path. And we're not really sure how to make sense of what we're going through. But I'll promise you if we can be still and even be careful in those moments, God will allow whatever we go through to benefit. Romans 8 and 28, it will work together. God can take a situation, even if he wasn't the author of it, God can work all things Amen to our good. And so the book of Luke chapter three and verse three, the Bible says, and he came into all the country about Jordan, about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Of course, the, the, the center of this story is John the Baptist. And uh, sometimes we view John the Baptist in scripture as almost a madman, a wild man. Uh, just, uh, you know, locusts and wild honey and, uh, and um, all manner of things that we may see about him. This aggressive crying voice but he was a man on a mission. May God bless you. Thank you for your worship. Amen. Stay connected with the word. Would you do that? You can be seated and let's preach together for a little while. I have discovered that God always has a plan. And uh, because there is a central truth to that, I want to make sure that I am part of God's plan. I remember many years ago just touching this, an, an old story very briefly. 1982, I was involved in a very, very serious automobile accident. It made absolutely no sense. We were, uh, hadn't been married all that long, just a couple of years. And uh, we were trying to get our lives together, trying to build our lives together. And now the Lord, it seemed, was taking us on a journey. It was a very lonely journey at times. I was, I was uh, out of commission for at least seven months, but really we were affected by the outcome of this for many, many years. And uh, it didn't always make sense. And I remember later finding out that uh, Brother Bobby Gibson, Brother Bob Gibson uh, Sr., had told his wife, he's, he came to visit us in the hospital, came to visit me in the hospital one day. And, and I found out later that he told his wife, he said, while there, he said, the Lord laid on my heart that God is getting ready to do something in this couple's life. And uh, well, we may think that was a radical twist or a turn, but you see, God had to get me off of my path and get me on his path. 
And uh, for about seven months or more, uh, I would I was bound uh, in home, and uh, I would listen to I, I have family members that would bring little plastic bags of cassette tapes of preaching. And uh, I would listen to preaching and listen to preaching and listen to preaching. I was in this conference and that conference. And, and if you don't know what cassettes are, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> You've been robbed. Let me just say that. You have been robbed. And uh, so lest you think I'm boasting, I'm just going to start talking about, stop talking about those cassette tapes here. And we don't stir up the spirit of envy. But I would listen to those those, those preaching tapes over and over and God was putting something in my heart. God was honing something in my spirit. God had ta- has taken that and we've watched through the years a lot of good things came out of that very dark season, what we thought was a very dark season of our lives. Amen, because there is a central truth. God has a plan. Sometimes that plan does take us down uncomfortable places because he's trying to lead us to a special place. Such was the case that we read about in the year 1506. On any typical day in Erfurt, Germany, if anyone was in the vicinity of the local monastery there, you would have heard a voice crying from deep within those walls. That cry that you would have heard, the voice on the other end, was simply saying this one line again and again, my sins Oh God, my sins, my sins. This cry could be heard repeated intermittently for hours on end. That lone voice, my sins, oh God, my sins, my sins. That person's voice belonged to a certain monk who had joined that monastery. This man, the story behind this man is that he was caught one day in a very violent, an extremely violent thunderstorm in an open field. It was a horrendous lightning storm to which he thought for sure, I will never make it out of this alive. And he fell on his face and he began to beg for the mercy of God. He fell to the ground in prayer and he vowed. He said, Lord, if you will deliver me from this moment, if you will pull me from this situation, then I will give the rest of my life to you. And so he did. He joined that monastery and he spent almost five years of his life night and day. He prayed for the Lord to forgive him of his sins. However, in time, that voice could no longer be heard. It was not there crying, nor was it anywhere crying because this man had now become a teacher in a local seminary. He was teaching primarily on the book of Psalms and the book of Romans, and he was teaching young students about the word of God. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in this divine plan of God, he had discovered the grace and the forgiveness of God. It wasn't that he had never heard of grace or forgiveness before. I think we should understand that, amen. But now he has done more than just hear about it. He has experienced it. I'm preaching to people this morning Some may have only heard about grace or you may have only heard about forgiveness, but I'm also preaching to a nucleus of people this morning that can say, I've experienced his grace and I have experienced his forgiveness, amen. 
And so for him and for you and I, it was like a messenger, that messenger that would come down the hall with a letter of release for someone on death row. The grace of God made its way, not just to the mind of this man, but to the heart of this man. And God had brought him to the end of himself. But while he was standing at the end of himself, he discovered the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. He knew for sure that he was going to have to have something bigger than him to wash sin stains. Just like the old line of a song that holds a powerful truth. It's an age old hymn, but oh, the truth that is bound up in it when it says how precious did that grace appear the hour that I first believed. Amen. It wasn't just something we can take or leave. It wasn't something that might or may not, may or may not fit into our plan, but how precious did his grace appear. Am I preaching to somebody that remembers the load of guilt and the load of sin being lifted off your life? I'm gonna tell you, that's why we can't keep our hands down in praise. That's why we can't keep our voices silent when we are singing songs that bring adoration to God. Amen. That's why I can't be still when we're talking about the goodness of the Lord. Why? Amen. I've had the Holy Ghost a long time, but when I get to thinking about where the Lord brought me from, when I get to thinking about all the things that he spared me from, I can't be quiet. I refuse to be still. Amen. The old writer said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Amen. That monk's name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther is best known as a a, a seminal figure in the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther now understood forgiveness, not just from a book, but he understood it from experience. And can I tell you today that I'm among many people that don't just understand forgiveness from looking it up in a dictionary, but you understand it because it it is something you've experienced in your own life. Martin Luther, like you and I, can now fully grasp the words of the psalmist David in 32 and 1 when he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose sin is concealed. I am so thankful this morning that we can't walk in here with x-ray vision and look under the blood and see the sins of yesterday's Amen. I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful for the veil, the curtain of mercy that extends across and we can come in without reservation and lift our hands and lift our voices. Amen. We love him because he loved us. Some things that we encounter in life certainly may seem extreme at the time. But you know, if that experience leads us to a place of conviction, If that experience leads us to an altar of repentance, if that experience leads us to a watery pool of baptism, if that experience brought us to the gift of the Holy Ghost and it's in feeling, then no one will ever say, I sure wish I had never gone through that hardship or I resent that I had to walk down that path. I'm gonna tell you, if it led you to everlasting life, you're gonna soon forget all the hardship, the scars, the pain. You're gonna forget all of that because what you received was so much greater. Amen. Most often God's plan, God's plan begins with conviction. 
We should never forget that. I've preached often, and I hope often enough that we should never stop asking God for the spirit of conviction, not just for sinners, but the spirit of conviction in our own heart that I don't want to get cold and callous and indifferent. I want the spirit of conviction to be as alive in my heart as it was the night I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want it to grip me. I want it to stir me. I want it to wake me. I want it to move me to the point I've got to do something about it. Amen. So God begins with conviction. Amen. His plan begins with conviction because you see a repentant heart or a broken heart, that becomes an obedient heart. Amen. When we become broken inside, then we become obedient. When we look at our text this morning, we are reading about a man that we commonly know as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist and his ministry seems to capture this truth. But we should never doubt that his ministry was a part of God's redemptive plan. So I want to begin with something that is imperative. Amen. I want us to understand that it begins with something that is critical, and that is the spirit of conviction. Now, there is a huge difference, night and day difference, between condemnation and conviction. Often condemnation comes from the devil or comes from other cynical people, but conviction comes from the Lord. It gets a hold of your heart. It's an arresting agent. You've got to do something about that. And so God's work begins with an awareness of our sinfulness, an awareness of our need for salvation. I'm gonna tell you, there are many today that are in this building or some that are joining us online that you know what it was like when the Spirit of the Lord touched you and you thought, if I don't get a hold of God now, I'm not talking about it'll wait till Wednesday. I don't think this will wait till in the morning. This won't wait till this evening. I gotta get a hold of the Lord now that's what conviction will do for you amen it starts something within us we got to understand the power of his word and that work in our lives convicting us arresting us making us aware of our need for God and it's not until then that we'll be open for God to do a work in our life John the Baptist work began with two critical elements there was the sinfulness of man and the forgiveness of God that's what his ministry and message was about it was underlining the sinfulness of man and the forgiveness of God and we cannot know grace until we can sense our need for grace nobody's ever going to reach for grace if you don't think you need grace John's preaching began to stir the hearts of those who came in the wilderness to hear him as he was preaching but Romans 10, Paul says, uh, in, and I think verses 14 and 15, Paul posed some very critical questions, four questions. He said, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so John the Baptist never doubt that John the Baptist was just out here on his own doing his own thing. No, no. He was in the plan of God. He was in the will of God. He was in the plan of God. He was in the will of God. And so these four questions that were, were summarized, I believe can summarize the ministry of John. The Bible says, 
says in John chapter one and verse number six, and this is a passage that we ought to forever be thankful for. John, the Bible says in one and six, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Well, for some of you, there was a man sent from God and his name may not have been John, but God sent somebody to you. Amen, it may have not even been a man. It may have been a lady. It may have been a witness of a child, but there was somebody that was sent from God. I want to tell you today that life is not random. Life is not just blowing willy-nilly, but if you're in this house, as it has already been said this morning, if you're in this house today, we believe that you're here because God has ordered your steps. We believe the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and so we're not really here at the invitation of another. We're not just here because it was convenient today. We're here because God arranged for us to be together in this house to create this moment and participate in this very hour. Praise God. A man, a man sent from God. And as John the Baptist began to preach, his, his message began to stir the hearts of man. His message created in the heart of people. Remember, they're coming out of the dark ages. They're coming out of a very silent, quiet, dismal time. But when John began to preach, amen, he was preaching, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. His message, it was awakening a longing for a promised Messiah. It was awakening, it was bringing us back, an awareness into the heart and the minds of men. John preached repentance and he preached baptism. Those who were convicted, they immediately, they submitted themselves to water baptism. Luke 3 and 3 says, and he came unto the country of Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins and many of John's converts were baptized. His converts were baptized but many of those that heard him were baptized and began to follow him. John the Baptist was far more than just a madman. He was far far more than just a singular voice crying out in the wilderness but John was stepping out of that dark time as a prophet. Amen. He was fulfilling the words of Gabriel of Luke 1 and 16 because here's what we read. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you that God has his hand on you. God has his hand on your life. I'm preaching to everybody here today. Church family. God has his hand on you and he wants to use your voice. He wants to use your testimony. He wants you to use your story and I want to tell you today if you're here without the Holy Ghost God wants you to live to live for him. He wants you to experience this. You don't have to look at it from a distance. You don't have to be an outside observer but you can step into the pool and let the power and the spirit of God change your life. You see, John, John was gathering quite a following. And he could have easily created his own thing, his own group. He could have continued to point somebody to an, a Messiah that was coming somewhere in the sweet by and by. Just keep following me. And I want to talk about a Messiah, a Savior that's coming one day. Because you see, believing in a Messiah that's gonna come in the future is a whole lot easier than believing in a Messiah that's already here. So John could have just taken the short path 
And he could have said, well, you know, I'm gonna preach what everybody's been preaching that's gonna come, but until then, you just follow me and we'll do our own thing. But John understood his place in the full scheme of God's plan. Hallelujah, John obediently preached his message of repentance and baptism. But when Jesus was revealed to him as the Messiah, in that very moment, John began to dismantle those that were following him immediately, immediately. He started pointing those that were following him to Jesus and he started saying things like this, but there's one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy, latch it, I'm not worthy. Amen, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I can only, he said, I can only baptize you into repentance, but he can baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, hallelujah. I'm gonna tell you today that we are not the plan, we're just part of the plan. We are not the cog in the wheel, we're just part of the machinery of God. And so I am imploring you this morning that we ought to raise our hand and our heart and lift our voice and say, God, let me join a part of this chosen few and let me be a part of your plan. Let me be a part of your plan. Praise God. Amen. Some of John's some of John's disciples in the beginning became some of the best known disciples of Jesus because he was willing to understand I'm just part of the plan. I'm just a portion of the plan. John preached repentance. He baptized those who believed. And in doing so, he humbly took the focus off of himself. The leader became the follower because he understood I'm just part of the plan. Instead of using people to serve his own ego, he said, you don't need to follow me. I can only lead you so far. You need to follow him. You need to follow him. Amen. In the same way, God has called all of us to prepare a way for others that can believe in him. Believe in him. Amen. I believe that we have a wonderful church. I believe that we have wonderful church a church family and wonderful people that love the Lord. But I'm gonna tell you, we're not just trying to sell you on us this morning. We're trying to sell you on him because we may fail, but he won't fail. We may not be there when you need us, but he will be there. We're gonna try, we're gonna do our best, but we're human and we're subject to error. You may see our flaws and our and our and 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 the downfalling, but I'm gonna tell you that if we this morning can understand that we represent something greater than us. What we're here this morning is not to showcase music. We're not here to showcase singing. We're not here to showcase preaching. Amen. We're here to say there's one that's greater than this. Amen. There's something that's more powerful than this. What you feel in this service, you can have in your heart. What you feel in this service, you can take home with you. What you feel in this service is living. It'll go to job. It'll go to work with you in the morning. It'll drive with you in the stillness of the night. It'll lay down with you in the bed. It'll wake up with you in the morning. Hallelujah. This is just part of God's plan. <laughs> Amen. That, my friend, is the ultimate mission of the church. According to John, according to Matthew rather 3, in order to fulfill the righteous plan of salvation, Jesus Christ, who himself was without sin, submitted himself to water baptism. This is how seriously. Jesus took the need of baptism. If Jesus was in the water to be baptized without sin, 
then I ask you how much more should you and I as sinners be in a water, a baptism for forgiveness of our sin. He was there as an example. Amen. He was there to show us this is how he was setting the pace. All righteousness was being fulfilled in this one event. And this righteousness is for everyone. Can I tell you, you've never lived. You have never lived until you've repented of your sins. Amen. But don't stop there. You've never lived until you've been down in water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Can I tell you, the water that we would baptize you in is just water out of a well. It's the same water in the water fountain. It's the same water you're washing in your hands with. It's not special water. What special is the name? What special is the blood that's applied? What special is the power? Amen. The power of that name. Amen. I now indeed baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Amen. We're going to put them under the blood. We're going to wash them away. We're going to put them as far as the east is from the west. We're going to be, they're going to be cast into a sea. Amen. Never to be remembered again. It is the power. It is the power of the name. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so thankful for that power. I'm so thankful for that promise. And I'm so thankful for that experience. Praise God. So how could we say that we are following the Lord as our Savior if we are not following his example repeatedly. Repeatedly, the scripture teaches the need for water baptism. And so here we have Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist. He preached it. Amen. He preached it. He baptized his disciples. And then Jesus himself was baptized for the sake of righteousness. And then the, the apostles of Jesus taught the necessity of baptism. And in the book of Acts, which are the Acts of the Apostles, it is a history book. That is where you look. Amen. This is where you look to get saved. The epistles is where you look to stay saved. Amen. This, the Acts is where you look to get right. The epistles is where you look to, to stay right. And so in, in Jesus' day, the apostles taught, amen, even after the, the, the Lord had left in Acts 2, they were baptized, Acts 2 and 38. In Acts 3 and 8 and 38, Philip with a eunuch, amen, he went and found him. He left a mighty revival because the Lord sent him. And he found one lone man sitting in a chariot. He was reading from the book of Isaiah, but he just picked up right there and he preached unto him Jesus and something stirred in his heart. The power of conviction, amen, stirred in his heart. And he said, here is water, what doth hinder? And he was then forthwith baptized. In Acts 9 and 18, Saul was baptized. In Acts 10 and 48, Cornelius was baptized. In Acts 19 and 5, all the apostles, or all the rather the, the disciples that John had only baptized into repentance, they understood we got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were rebaptized, amen, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. Why? Because we got to have something with authority that can wash the sin. We got to have something with authority that can take away the sin. Hallelujah. And they were baptized in his name. How much clearer could the need for baptism be underlined? But you see, our culture encourages us today to move away from the idea, the thought process, that there is even sin in the world. Because perhaps, in part, it is because sin is such an integral part of everyday life. 
I'm not speaking to the self-righteous this morning, but I am asking you, are there not multiple times that our righteous indignation should be provoked on a daily basis? When you see sin so rampant everywhere? Amen. Therefore, society, because they don't want you to talk about sin, want pulpits to be silent about sin. Amen. So society produces this defensive reaction toward those that would preach a message about absolute sin. Because no one wants to hear today that there is an absolute right or there is an absolute wrong. Now, I don't want to meander here too far this morning, but you know, there's no participation trophies in the kingdom of God. You know, we're so worried about every other pocket of society of offending somebody that we want everybody to get a trophy just because they showed up. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if I was on the ball team, I didn't deserve a trophy. I can't hit the ball and I can't catch the ball and half the time didn't know what even was going on in the game. I was not a candidate. I know what it's like to be the last one picked. I know. (laughs) Some of you got a little too happy about that. There's no participation trophies in the kingdom of God. It's right, it's wrong. It's black, it's white. Amen. We can't help but notice how our vocabulary has kind of blurred the word sin under just scores of euphemisms, euphemisms, including instead of sin, you know, we talk about things like moral failure and and, uh, mistakes and problems and oversights and indiscretions and shortcomings and and, 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 and because we want to kind of take away the blunt edge of sin, we're less inclined in these gentler days to use the word out and out sin. And so, because in our culture's way of looking at it, in our society's way of looking at it, that's just offensive and it's just too much and everything's got to be politically correct. Aren't you just over that? But we ought to insist on biblical terms, especially when we're talking about matters of eternity. <clears throat> Sometimes in visiting with a physician, you know, they, <clears throat> by just their own education and their own vocabulary, they use words that I don't understand. And so often I say, can you say that another way? Because i got to get this. I need to understand this. I want to get this on the middle shelf. I want to know what we're talking about here. And so from a culture's point of view, they say, well, it's just too blunt. I don't know what all the hollering's about. I don't know what all the screaming's about. But I'm going to talk about today what it's about. It's about eternity. It's about an eternity in hell. It's about an eternity in heaven. It's about being saved or lost. Amen. It's about the Bible talking about a a narrow path and few there be that find it. And it's talking about hell being open without measure, a broad way, and many that are going therein. I'll say today, if there are many that are going therein, the church ought to lift our voice and cry out against it. Amen. Not in condemnation. Amen. We ought to cry out against 
against it with conviction. It ought to be in our heart. Turn, 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 turn. Amen. The Bible uses words like iniquity, trespass, transgression, guilt, disobedience, unrighteousness. The Bible uses terms unashamedly like wickedness and evil and shame and fault and ungodliness and the list could go on and on and on. And that sounds like an ancient ancient, ancient uh, language, amen, to us today. But I will tell you that if the message is not clear, if the message is not clear, how are we going to arrive at the proper destination? How are we going to know the impact of sin on a soul if somebody doesn't talk to us plain? Now, I may risk losing a few of you right here, but, but I'm not alone when I tell you that I live before GPS. And when somebody gave you directions, good luck. Because you kind of go down to the big pine tree on the left. And you turn, and you're going to come up on the house, and they, generally there's a white dog out in the front yard. And I mean, it is, you're just groping in the dark. You're just hoping that you can get there but how sweet it is when somebody can give you the address. The exact address, the longitude, the latitude. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 14 and 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Because you see, there was a certain sound that the trumpet gave that was a battle cry. And so when you pick up the trumpet, that's not the time to play Georgia. You pick up the trumpet, that's not the time. Just willy-nilly. You pick up the trumpet in a battle cry, you gotta sound the battle cry. So it perhaps it boils down to one very important question, and that is what is sin? The Bible, especially in Paul's letter, often speaks of sin, and I think this is so important for me to underline here today. It's all throughout the scripture, but especially so in the writings of Paul. Paul speaks of sin in the singular. You with me? Not sins, plural, but sin. Because sins, plural, that's things that we do. That's acts. That's acts of disobedience. But sin, singular, in which the apostle Paul addressed, sin is a power. It is a spiritual stronghold. Amen. Sin is a spiritual stronghold. And so the stronghold of sin, singular, is something that we cannot free ourselves from. You can't think yourself out of sin. You can't just say, well, I'm strong-willed and I'm gonna rise above this and I will do this on my own. I just beg to differ with you, ma'am. I beg to differ with you, sir. Amen, when we're talking about sin, we're talking about a spiritual stronghold. Amen, that has total dominion over the entire human race. That includes you and your children and your family, your mom, your dad, your grandparents. Amen, that includes the sweetest little infant that we hold in our hand that may be only hours old 
told because when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, they subjected themselves to sin. And from that moment until now, we were born in sin and we were shaping in iniquity. And so when we come into this world, there is a spiritual stronghold of sin. I know that many before me have said it, but that's why you don't have to teach children to lie. You don't have to teach children to steal. You don't have to teach people to do wrong. It's in them. We gotta turn it around. You gotta change it. Why? Because there's a spiritual stronghold. Hallelujah. You're not strong enough, sir. You're not strong enough, ma'am. Amen. You're gonna need God. You're going to need God to help you. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm telling you today. Amen. Because every every effort you make to try to free yourself from sin is only gonna dig you deeper in sin. And so that's why. Why don't you just cash in now? Amen. Why don't you say enough is enough today? And I love you, Lord. And I need you. I need you to deliver me from the power of sin. I must have Jesus. He can break the stronghold of sin. I've talked to many, many people through the years that have been bound by sin who boldly declare by way of testimony, I've been delivered. I've been delivered from the desire. I've been delivered from the want to. I've been delivered from the pull. Amen. Amen. In, in our North American context, in, real, in reality, it, 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 is, it is somewhat difficult to convince people of their need of salvation because we're just so blessed. I don't say this condemning. Anything that I mention here is true in my life. We decided which vehicle to drive to church today. We decided which suit to wear, which outfit to wear, which shoes to wear, which socks to put on. We, we made decisions. We picked what we wanted to do. Brother Wayne Williams talked about Wednesday night I mean, about the, the coats, the winter coats that he has for these brutal North Florida winters. He talks about those. I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. <laughs> Amen. He was talking about the blessings of God and how good God has been. And so in, in the context of that, it can, it can be very difficult to convince people that you need God. So oftentimes, people's life have to run aground. And there's a shaking and a waking, and, and they understand. And, and I'm going to tell you, I go back to my opening comments about two hours ago. <laughs> my opening comments is that you'll never regret whatever it took to get your attention. You see... The cross, even the cross itself has become such an object of familiarity. It's kind of just another religious symbol alongside many, many other religious icons. It's just, it's just something else added to the list. But we have to press through that familiarity. There's no more fitting summary of, of what the cross meant in the first century to than to, than to quote one man's observation. He said, at Calvary, God allowed himself to be pushed out of the world and into, or onto, rather, the cross. 
I believe that that should shatter every notion that sin could ever be a mistake. Whatever sin is, it required the absolute and utter shaming of a man named Jesus who went to the cross and was shamed and beaten and tormented to break the back of sin. No wonder John's message was repent. repent. No wonder we must be born again of the water and the spirit because the lost must know God's word. They must know about the hope of Jesus Christ that we find through the cross. That's why the church can't be silent. That's why we can't afford to just be a social club. That's why we can't afford just to high-five one another and let this be a good old boy club. No, no, no. Amen. We, now that we have measured the way to sin, now that we see sin in its fullness, then we need to understand or at least try to measure the wonder of God's forgiveness. Again, the psalmist David, oh, what a speaker and writer. He said in Psalms 32, 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Once we become aware and discover the depth of our sin problem, the greater wonder of both the danger we were in and the lengths to which God went to forgive us. You know, it's a dangerous thing for people to think they weren't all that lost. I know what I'm talking about. But you don't almost miss a plane. And you don't almost miss a train. You're either there when it leaves or you're not there when it leaves. So you're not almost lost or almost found. And so when we come to the realization of how lost we were and what the Lord did to help us, oh, my, 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 how can we know those kind of things and then just fold our arms? How can we know those things and say, I don't know if I'm going to church or not. How can we know those things and say, I don't know if I'm going to worship or not. I don't know if I feel like praying or not. I don't know if I feel like responding or not. How can we know those things and not respond? It's incumbent upon us to do two things. We must first be moved to repentance ourselves and we must share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone we can. Again, I'm not trying to re-preach Wednesday's message, but... Brother Williams was just talking about in just a moment of, of transparent honesty with us Wednesday night about, about missed opportunities to witness to people, missed opportunities to share. A few days ago, my wife and I were away for a few days of vacation and we were packing up the morning we were coming home and, and I, I didn't have on a suit and tie, but I did have on dress slacks and a dress shirt and and uh, I went down and took a load of, of uh, some things to our car. And there was another gentleman standing there. He, too, had a cart, and he had unloaded some things. And so we were walking back toward the elevators. And uh, so he asked me, he said, uh, concerning the place where we were staying that week, he said, are you an owner or are you a renter? I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm just renting. And he said, well, I am an owner. And he said, and I can tell from looking at you that y'all are the kind of people that I want to rent to. Yeah. 
glad I combed my hair. <laughs> he pulled out his phone. He said, I want to give you my cell phone number. And if you ever want to rent our place, you just call me. You call me directly. You don't need to call anybody else. You call me directly. Because he said, I can tell just by looking at you that you're not a partier. <laughs> oh, sir, you don't know. You have, no, you have no idea how on the ragged edge we live here. So he said, well, where, what, what unit are you in? I gave him the number. He said, hey, I, I own the unit two doors down. That's where I am. He said, uh, would you, you want to come down and look at our place? I said, well, I'll go ask my wife. I mean, this is all kind of taking me by surprise. Then I got a little bit suspicious. I didn't want to go in some strange, you know. It is 2021, you know. <clears throat> Little Barney Fife rose up in me there. <laughs> digging around. I dig around, make sure I had that bullet. <laughs> so I went and got my wife. She had the same concerns. She said, "Are you think this is safe?" <laughs> we went down there, and he 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 was very forward in his thinking. We got there. He had the door open and propped open. He said, "Come in." And and I'm 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 telling this story for a reason because. I thought, you know, that was just smart and proactive on his part. I want to share something I've got with you. I know it's a business venture. I get that. But he wasn't ashamed to say, let, let, me, let me do, let, hey, let's, let, let's talk about this. We ran into him two or three more times, and he said, anytime, he said, you just send me a text. And he said, you remind me that you're the guy I met on the elevator. And I just got in our car that day coming home and I thought, Lord, this man told me all about what he had and I didn't say one thing about what I had. Amen. I'm not proud of that. I got caught up in that moment. My mind was somewhere else. But I thought, Lord, I wonder if if that same spirit could just get over on me and let me strike up a conversation. Amen. I do that from, I do that. I'm just saying I miss this opportunity. But Lord, help us to be a part of your plan. Don't let somebody be in my path because he saw, he recognized it for what it was. This is a good opportunity. Somebody that would take care of my things and amen. Somebody that would take care of things. He saw it for what it was. I thought, Lord, help me to be as wise as this man. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, if you will. You see, like John the Baptist, our, our message may seem intense. One man said, I preached as never to preach again. He said, I preached as a dying man to dying men. Passion. I've often said, Lord, let me preach as though it were my last time. Let me worship as though it were my last time. That should not just be the, term, the determination of those who are formerly called to a pulpit ministry, but I believe that ought to be the passion of every child of God to reach the corner of the world where God planted you 
You say, well, how can I reach the world? Well, you can't reach the world, but you can reach your world. Amen. We teach and preach repentance and the need of new birth. And for some, that can be a hard pill to swallow because the gospel can be unflattering to some because it's of that word essential. You must be born again. You must. And that, that you must, it, it kind of pushes against human nature. But you see, the gospel starts at ground zero and it takes us to an awareness of our need for God. And so I will just tell you this today. If you're here and you have not repented of your sins, you are in the right place. And if you're here and you have not been baptized, you're in the right place. And if you're here and need the Holy Ghost, you're in the right place. Amen. Our focused prayer this morning was praying for our friends and neighbors that don't know the Lord. Our focused prayer was asking the Lord for opportunities to share his word with others. And that ought to be a passion that we wake up with every day, not just today. Not just every now and then, but at every turn, asking God for an opportunity to share. Because here's the truth. We all have a story to tell. I can't tell your story. Not like you. I can reiterate things, but I can't tell it like you because there's going to be a passion in your voice. There's going to be a fire in your eyes. There's going to be a reality in what you're saying. Amen. Today, wherever you are, know this. You're part of God's plan. You may look around and see an unfamiliar scenery. You may look around and think in your own perhaps even personal exhaustion, I don't know how much longer I can do this. But you're part of God's plan. God's doing something. He's doing something. I wonder this morning if we could respond somehow. Amen. Not to my message, but can we respond to his message, his word. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the path that you have placed me on. I thank you, almighty God for your goodness, mercy, for strength, for compassion. Oh, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.